Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Among the organized religions slow to acknowledge the reality of near-death experiences, the Roman Catholic Church looms large. So it's wonderful to find a Catholic priest who himself has had near-death experience and tells his story to advance the faith. Our guest today, the Reverend Cedric Pesegna, CP, is a passionist priest ordained in June of 1991. Prior to that, he'd graduated from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst with a bachelor's in social work, studied philosophy at Southern Illinois University, studied speech and drama at Northwestern University in Chicago, studied scripture in Israel and Greece in 1987, and led pilgrimages there. In 1990, he graduated from the Catholic Theological Union in Chicago with a Master of Divinity degree with Bible specialization. And in the fall of 2003, he studied theology at the North American College in Rome, Italy. Father Cedric presently has both radio and TV programs titled Live with Passion. The TV airs on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, Daystar TV, and EWTN. Father Cedric has produced as well a number of CD series and DVDs on Christian living and has also authored some 25 books, including his account of his NDE titled Death, the Final Surrender. Father Cedric, welcome to NDE Radio. It's such a joy to be with you, and I ask God's blessings on your listeners and your viewers. Oh, thank you. And on the host as well, I hope. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right. Father, your NDE was not uh, the result of a life-threatening incident, and I've interviewed others who experienced NDEs from bouts of depression or visits from angel guides, Mm -hmm. but you describe yours as being faith-driven, and about faith you write, faith is an energizing force within, faith emanates from the deep recesses of the heart, it is primarily a gift from God. So tell us, how did faith initiate your two NDEs? Well, I did have two NDEs, and they were when I was just turning 20 years old. And faith is what propelled me through the tunnel. I was not sick. I had not had any accident. I believe from what I've read about NDEs, there has to be some kind of a trauma or an accident or an operating situation in the operating room that propels you down the tunnel. You're you're dying. And what happened to me was, actually, it was my faith that propelled me down that tunnel, a faith that was very wobbly, faith that was growing at that time. I had uh, been born and brought up Catholic, but fallen away from the church. And I experienced a breakup with a girl. I wasn't sure about my major in college, wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. So I began to seek God. And as I started seeking God, I started growing, started growing as a Christian and started growing in my faith, but I didn't know it. Jesus talked about a little seed that's planted and then day by day it grows and and the person doesn't know how. 
that's exactly what was happening in my life. That seed of faith was growing, that I truly did believe that there was a God. And then all of a sudden, one night, probably about nine months after I came to the Bible and started reading it and started giving my life to Christ, again, I'm 19, 20 years old. Then one night as I went to bed, I wasn't sick or anything. I just went to bed. And as I drifted off to sleep and I wasn't asleep, I started being propelled down this. The only way to describe it is this cylindrical tunnel. And I'm very aware. I'm, I'm a type A personality, very sensitive, what's called a sensate on the Myers-Briggs uh, personality test. I'm very aware of my surroundings and what happens in my life. And it was some kind of a cylindrical tunnel. And I was going very quickly down it. It didn't take long, maybe five to six, seven seconds, the whole length of the tunnel. And I was being propelled by faith, because I remember I said to myself, oh, no, I believe. And I said, oh, no, because I was about to have an imminent meeting with God, and I knew it. Mm. I knew where I was going. And I said, oh, no, because it was scary. But I couldn't stop it because I believed. And it was that belief that literally propelled me. That's the only word to use. Uh, it was a catalyst for my the whole experience of going through the tunnel. And Subsequently, years later, as I studied theology, I learned that we are saved by grace through faith. Both are a gift. Grace is God's initiative. It's God's gift. And faith is what God gives us to receive that grace. So I was being literally summoned. I like to say it was an NDE, but I was being summoned by God through my faith that he was giving to me. So I'll stop there. <laughs> Well, you wrote that you felt powerless and helpless and out of control, uh, instinctively knowing you were going to God, and uh, and it. Uh, what was the was the tunnel dark? Was it uh, light? Could you uh, describe it in any way? Well, there was literally light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, it just I wouldn't. Yeah, I would call it dark. Uh, front of my book kind of describes it. Mm -hmm. This is my book called "Death: The Final Surrender." And it's just been revised literally this week. And that's kind of what it looked like. <laughs> it, it was dark, but it was cylindrical. And I didn't really look around at the tunnel. I just had a sensation that it was a, a, a round shaped, I hate to use this word, wormhole. <laughs> yeah. I was transcending time and going to God. And the word transcendence is not a word that I used in my vocabulary at that time in my life, but after it happened, I knew what it meant because I, I transcended. I, it, it goes beyond time. It, 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 time stops. And the physics of wormholes, uh, at least as the theory goes, is that they can connect vast distances in space in the twinkling of an eye, as it were. That's exactly what it was. But yet there was this sensation of moving. I was somehow traveling through that. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is a canal. I, I like to say in my book, we, when we're born, we're born through a canal, our mother's womb. And when we die, we go through a canal to get back to God. Yeah. You also write, time stood still. I was beyond time. I was moving into a new realm. Its entrance is within our core, our heart. How do you, how do you envision that? Somehow I think our heart, our consciousness, the depths of who we are, 
that there's a portal there. We forget what it is. We don't know. We can't make ourselves go through it. But the psalmist said, when can I enter and see the face of God? Enter what? Enter that portal that will bring you to the face of God. So there's something there within us that connects us to God. And I practice something called contemplative prayer. That's when we get really silent and we try to shut out all the noise and all the thoughts and the images. And sometimes I find myself transcending and getting closer to God within me. God lives within, as I'll explain. But also there's the central location of God's throne, wherever that is. And you can begin to transcend to to God. But especially transcendence happens with the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And I'll talk more about that later. But that's that's what I would say about transcendence. Okay. You also wrote, uh, time is is motion, although I was moving, the realm I was in was beyond time. And then you quote uh, from Wisdom, the, uh, the author of the Book of Wisdom, for wisdom is more mobile than any motion. Because of her pureness, she pervades and penetrates all things. I thought that was a, a, an amazing quote. Well, just to let you know, the Catholic Church has accepted the Book of Wisdom, canonized that book. In the Protestant Bibles, that is called the Deuterocanonical or the Apocrypha. That is a book that has been canonized, the Book of Wisdom we're talking about, written in the year probably 100, 200 AD after Christ speaking about the attributes of wisdom. Wisdom is personified, the Holy Spirit is personified as wisdom, the, the quality of wisdom. And there's seven, there's seven times three, there's 21 attributes given to wisdom. And one of them is more mobile, more, more than motion itself, mm. that somehow the Holy Spirit is able to transcend motion and time just like Jesus did when he rose from the dead, he, he went through doors. There's a verse in the Gospel of John that when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, suddenly they arrived at the other side right away. I mean, Jesus just catapulted them through time. That's from the Gospel of John. Nobody ever preaches about that, though. Well, it also uh, reflects quantum physics because you can affect one particle and its sister particle could be light years away, and yet it gets affected instantly, so that that effect is going beyond time and space. It's happening simultaneously. Yeah, there's a lot about physics and philosophy that I encountered there, but it was more my emotions and my mind that, that really touched me. And as we go on with the story, I, I do want to share about the love of God and, and everything that that was. Yes. Uh, you commented uh, somewhere just about the same time we were you were writing about the your near death experience that life on Earth is illusory. Uh, things are things are definitely not what they seem. To, to tell us what you were referring to in that. That's something that I told myself when I came back before I came back. Mm -hmm. That uh, to remember that that everything that we're viewing. It's illusory. Uh, now that I'm back and it's been years, I don't know exactly how to describe that, but I promised myself to remember, don't be swayed or duped by the world, that there's more than meets the eye, 
that really life is transcendent. This is all passing and people put everything, they put their trust in what they can see, what they can feel, what they, the senses, but there's more than meets the eye. There's more than the senses. And that experience shouted that to me. And I told myself verbally, don't forget that, that there's more than meets the eye, that there's more than what we can see and hear and touch and smell and taste. Yeah. You also wrote, uh, we live on the tip of the iceberg, as it were. God is within, and he is aware of every little thought, motive, and intention in our lives. Yeah, that's St. Augustine, that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. I liken it to, this is a poor image, but a two-way mirror that we see things here, but we don't see what's on the other side of that mirror. But on the other side of that mirror could be a person watching us. And when I say watching us, I don't mean in a harsh way, like God's out to get you and make a mistake. He's he's close to us. Uh, Psalm 139 says that. That's my favorite psalm. That whether we sit or when whenever we stand, God knows it all together. All of our hairs are counted, Jesus said, the hairs of our head. And even before we speak a word, God knows what it's going to be. Those of your listeners and viewers, you may not know what your next word is, but God already knows what it is. That's how close God is to us. But more than that, he's close to us spatially, within us, in our consciousness, very uh, near, within. The word we use is in. And in is closer than with. Jesus said, I'll be with you, but I'll send the Holy Spirit to be in you. So it's as close as close gets. And this is something that we don't naturally know. This is something I had to discover. And it's become, sometimes I don't always feel it. It's become faith. It's become trust. But over and over again, I experience it. And yes, God is very, very, very close to us. Do you suppose that affects our free will in any way? Is there an element of predetermination in that? I don't think so. I think what is precious to God is to give us free will. He does influence us. He does allow things. But I think it's the influence of the Holy Spirit. If if you're humble enough to allow the Holy Spirit to take over, your, your will will be changed. It will be influenced. But it's always our choice. You begin to align your will with God's through God's grace, but it's always your choice. Hmm. And when we talk about predestination, which is Calvinistic, there is a couple times in the scriptures where, for example, Ephesians, we were predestined to be God's child. I believe that God predestines everybody to be his son and daughter, but then free will comes in and ruins the plan. I think everybody is predestined to be, to live forever, but you're exactly right. Free will determines what will happen, our free will. Hmm. And God will not violate that. When you came to the end of the tunnel, you came to a conflict with the dogma of the church, I think, when you said, I want to convey that I knew within me that I had been there before. Yeah, this is something called the preexistence of the soul. And I've read about it. I didn't know about it until it happened to me, but I've read about it subsequently. And in the Catholic Church, it's, it's a heresy. Mm. 
It was posited, I believe, by Origen, who was an early church father. And he talked about the pre-existence of the soul. We've heard stories about children who, who know God better than adults do because they're fresh out of the womb and they have this memory of God. But as the world corrupts them, they forget. And what I came to understand was that life is a forgetting. Life here on earth, we can't just categorize it as a forgetting, but we forget. We forget who God is. We forget what heaven is. One time I was given a vision of heaven very quickly. It was probably about a 10-second vision. And the one thing I said, I said, oh, because I was in ecstasy, I forgot about this place. That's what I told myself. I get goosebumps as I tell you that because... Yeah, that's what I, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, this isn't preached about much either. Jesus said, I know, where I've, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. Jesus remembered who he was, who God was, and where he was going. That comes right from the Gospel of John. I don't have the chapter and verse, but you can look it up. I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And I, that stands out to me because I know exactly what he means. I had, in no uncertain terms, absolutely sure not only had I been there before but that was my true self and that coming to earth is a forgetting and what the meaning of life on earth is to justify our soul justify our existence with God and now is extremely important because it determines eternity and we all have a free will and even I have a free will even after all that's happened I can still sin and commit mortal sin and turn away. It's harder for me because now I have the fear of God and I, the Holy Spirit's with me. But again, God does not, we are not puppets on a string. God has given us free will. He gifts us with grace, but he, he uh, admires our free will and will not violate that. So I'll stop there. Well, we took you to the end of the tunnel. Tell us what you saw when you got there. Yeah, I know that some people that have had these NDEs uh, have more vision. They, they can tell you exactly what heaven looked like. They can tell you, nobody's ever, I wanted to ask you, has anybody ever described the face of God to you? Because you've interviewed a lot of people. They often describe the face of Jesus and, okay. and see him as the face of God. Yeah. As the personification of God's love. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that young man that died, Colton Burpo, and that one young girl drew the portrait of Jesus, but I was not allowed to see that. Let me start by saying that uh, when your eyes are closed and you look at the sun, that is similar to what I saw, yet the light was more luminescent and very bright. And it's almost like reflecting on it later. We have our vision here on earth, but there's a new vision of your soul. Your soul has new eyes. It's a, it's a different type of vision. It's similar, but it's more illuminative, more enlightening. It, it's soul to soul. We, we talk about eyes. Yes, it's eyes, but it's different. It, it's, it's, that's, I use the word brighter. Words don't suffice. So I was allowed to see light, but I didn't. Nobody can see the face of God and live. God didn't let me see his face. But let's just start with the light. The light is the first thing. that you see. Everything happens simultaneously of the three things I'm about to tell you. 
light, glory, and love. It's all simultaneous, but I have to break it into categories just simply because of language. So I was experiencing everything right away, the glory, the love, and the light, as well as the voice that I heard. But the light was uh, God is light comes right from the scriptures. And, and when I say, when I talk about God, I want to make sure that people understand it was the God of the Bible. I'm not overlaying that as a theology, as a priest, as a theological student. I knew who that God was. It was the God of Jesus. And Jesus, I'll tell you, was standing beside me. Although I couldn't see him, I knew who it was. But it was not this new age God that kind of floats around and loves everybody and that accepts everybody the way they are. No, 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 no. I had a judgment. I'll tell you about that in a minute, but it's the God of the Bible. It's the God of Israel. It's the God of Moses. It's the God of Jesus. That's who the, that's who I encountered. And granted, I had that as a foundation born and brought up Catholic, but you know, that would have faded away if that wasn't true. I mean, I would have seen God and it's all that stuff. But no, no, I, I just want to make clear because I think with these NDEs, I've heard a lot of stories. It can almost become new age. And, and that scares me because what evil does, and there is an evil, evil tries not to, not to try to make you not believe the truth. He tries to distort the truth. And he does that through this new age type stuff. NDEs are real, and I'm a witness to that. But we have to get orthodox. When I say orthodox, I mean we have to be true about what this is. And I think that's what my experience, perhaps more than others, dictates. Because, again, I, I wasn't sick, and I wasn't asking for this. I was summoned. Mm. <laughs> Read Isaiah chapter 6 from the Bible when he goes to the throne of God and he hears the angels, holy, holy, holy. I didn't hear that, but that's what it was. It was the call of Isaiah. For me, it was a call to priesthood. I didn't discern that until years later, but it was a call. It was a summons, first of all, to become like Christ, and second of all, to proclaim Christ as a priest. So first of all, light. Then second of all, I have to say glory because it was so overwhelming. Glory is the electricity of God. When I say electricity, it is the pleasure. The only way to describe it is, there's a couple ways to describe it. One would be old glory if you see a flag waving in, in the wind, the, the ripples. I had ripples running from my feet to my head. They were going this way. I distinctly remember it. They weren't going that way. They weren't going down. The glory, another way to describe it would be like the horizontal lines on a TV screen. And when it's not adjusted right, they're, they're running up and down, excuse me, down and up. And that was flowing through my body. Now, remember, I couldn't see, but I saw that with light as the background. I could see the lines of the glory running through me. And I'm talking about, in theological terms, we have a, we have a definition called the beatific vision. I was standing before the throne of God, and I was very close to that throne. I know I was in close proximity. The glory is so overwhelming, intense, and powerful that I was, 
I had the biggest smile on my face. Bliss <laughs> is the word I will use. I wasn't afraid. I was in ecstasy. I, this is what we were made for. This is why people get addicted because they're looking for bliss. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for ecstasy. And as we've heard, our hearts are made for God and until they rest in God, we're we're not going to be happy. And that was St. Augustine also. The the bliss is just, uh, I've never really been happy on earth. I wrote a book about happiness, one of my 25 lead. And it's called, You Can Be Happy. And I tell people at the beginning of the book, the introduction of the book, I I want you to understand right off the bat that on earth, you will never be totally happy because our hearts are made for more than what we are here, what we see here, what we can experience here. We can have a degree of happiness, family and happy experiences and going to Disneyland and, you know, happy birthday and all that kind of thing, but it'll never be full. Because And I know that by my own experience, because I was experiencing the fullness of joy, not quite. And what I mean by not quite is the judgment, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, the judgment revealed to me that I can receive more from God, but I wasn't able to because of my sinful state. So it's very important that we justify our souls because we're all going back to God. And the degree that we are justified, the degree that we become a loving, virtuous person, generous, faith-filled, hopeful, loving, to that degree, we'll even receive more of the glory. And that's what I'm all about right now. Remember when Jesus said about John the Baptist, he's the greatest that ever lived, greater than any prophet, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he He was putting degrees on the people that will be in heaven, Jesus was. And what does he mean by the least in the kingdom of heaven? I think he means who receive God the least. Because there are some saints that have been so loving, Mother Teresa and others, Mm. that they're going to be so full of God that they're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I hope that makes sense. Wow. Is there free will in heaven? Yes, uh, I've struggled with that long and hard. Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk about a new heart will be given to us. God will place a new spirit within us. We will still have free will, but we'll be different. We'll be, we'll be the authentic self. Therefore, we won't sin. We're not going to sin. We'll be so possessed by God, full of God. Yet, I still was able to think I was, I was full with God. I was still able to think, but I was possessed by God. And so, yeah, I would say we will still have free will, but it'll be from a heart that's different, not a fallen heart, but a pure heart. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked was I was thinking about how happy you could be on earth when at certain times, moments in your life, say you're, you're viewing a, a magnificent sunset or walking through a beautiful forest uh, or seeing the redwoods on the west coast, or um, any of those moments when you, with all your free will and all your opportunity to do other things, are feel at one with God, that's a that's a, a very empowering, happy moment as as far as I'm concerned. It's a very transcendent moment, and one of the ways that you can appreciate those moments is by having a clean heart, a pure heart. 
being right with God. Everybody can appreciate it, the stars and the sunset. But when you're doing God's will, I've determined, it becomes transcendent. It may be a moment when you actually are clearing your heart, like a confession. Confession to the universe. Yeah, reconciling with the beauty of the forest and feeling God's creative energy coming from the trees and the flowers and the sky. I want to impress upon your listeners and viewers that this NDE, however long it lasted, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, not quite sure, changed my life. I was not a very religious person. I was starting to become religious, reading the Bible, praying. And now, as you can see, I'm all in. I am on three Christian networks on television. I've written 25 books. I travel preaching. I live in community, vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. There is nothing more than I can possibly do with my life as a witness to tell people that this was absolutely true. Jesus said, by your fruit, you will know them. Well, look at the fruit of my life. And I'm not saying that to exalt myself. I'm just simply trying to impress upon your listeners and viewers that this is absolutely true. And I say that as a Catholic priest with a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But let me continue. The glory, uh, did you want to say something? Just that uh, I believe God is still calling his disciples, and I believe you're one of them. Oh, you too, Lee. Yeah, thank you. And I'm sure most of your viewers. But anyway, uh, the glory was so overwhelming. And by the way, I feel that glory right now in my head as you just said that. That's the Holy Spirit. The, The Spirit, I wrote a book called Glorious Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, the breath of God, the really the person of God that now dwells in us has glory too. That's the goosebumps, the chills. We feel the prickly feeling. And it's a really pleasant feeling. Well, I feel that every day in a pretty intense way. I was given that gift of, cons- it's called consolation. I was given that gift of consolation and thanks be to God, God hasn't taken that away. Because a lot of people talk about desolation in their prayer life. And I'm so glad I haven't lost that. But Anyway, I teach people about the Holy Spirit because at that moment, I believe I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. God lavished his spirit upon me, breathed upon me his love. And when I came back, it was all over me. It was just so wonderful. But let me say this really quickly before I get into God's love. What I discovered is not so much that I received the Holy Spirit at that moment, like God gave me the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had always been with me all throughout my life, not because I was Catholic, but because I was created. I just didn't know it because I had felt the goosebumps and I had felt the chills even before this experience. So the Spirit was already in there. I just didn't know it. So when I talk about people, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I say you need to have a discovery of the love of God that lives in you already. It's not that you have to get the Holy Spirit. You have to discover the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Once you do that, you find the meaning of your life. As I put as a subtitle in my book, knowing who you are by knowing whose you are. And you can't know who you are until you know whose you are. And you belong to God. And once once you understand that, once you discover that, your identity comes with it. And as I said, in the presence of God, that's when I finally understood who I truly am, my authentic, real self. Thomas Merton, a monk in the Catholic Church who lived very famous, lived uh, a couple decades back, talked about the false self. And we are, the false self would be more than pride. It would be 
the construct that we kind of a mask that we put on ourselves that it's our false self uh self we show to people the humorous side of us the side that exalts ourselves. and anyway he said that's not your true self you have to transcend that and find out who you really are and to some degree we all live out of that false self but i know that i know that when I go to contemplative prayer, when I slow down and I pray, I, I get in touch with my true self, my authentic self. I'll talk now, let me shift, about the love of God. I want to tell you that the overwhelming, beside the glory and the light, was the fact that I am loved. And I wrote a book because of this. These are all catalysts for my writings. I wrote a book called You Are Love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We all know that. And what I try to do in that book is talk about more than God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Very individual, very personal. I felt like I was the only one in the universe. It was amazing how God can love you that way. And I realized that there are 8 billion people, Lee, on the face of the earth right now. 8 billion people simultaneously. Never mind the billions who have already come and the billions who will come. And somehow, some way, God's love is so intense. And I want to underline that word intense. And I want to say the word affectionate. It's like a mother for her son or daughter, this caring, this uh, worry, uh, this, this, this emotion toward me. It wasn't this arbitrary God is love. It was, whoa, baby. This is amazing, intense, affection, overwhelming. And I used the word in my book, and it was scary because it was so overwhelming. And I'm going to use a few more words because I was very aware. I was very awake in this whole thing. And I, I told myself these things. I'm going to use the word obsessed, jealous, uh. God is obsessed with us, kind of like a lover that it's been scorned. And he, he almost like stalks us. <laughs> I know, I know it sounds crazy, but this is the, the way God is so in love with us. And it's not just me. I was a recipient of it. It's everybody. It's everybody. And that's why hell will be so bad for people. When they finally come before God, they realize how loved they were and how they didn't respond. That's why they're going to weep and gnash their teeth, because then it'll be too late, because God will reveal his love. And what did you do with the love I gave you? You spurned my love, and I loved you so deeply. And there's nothing worse. I'll tell you, the deepest hurt I've ever had in my life has been breakups with women. And when you want them back and you can't have them, and that's what hell's going to be. You will want God, and you can't have them. But anyway, just wanted to tell you that the love was so intense and so beautiful. And even now when I'm on earth and don't feel it, just kind of, I know that I know that I'm loved and you don't always have to feel it. It's more you just appreciate creation, as you were saying, appreciate your own body. Try to live with wonder, with awe, because that's appreciating God's love. So I said a lot, I'll let you speak a little bit later. <laughs> Paul, I think, talked about the seven heavens, or it's it's in the Bible somewhere. He said he went in his near-death experience to the third heaven. Do you suppose that that top level of heaven 
that we lose our individuality and merge back into the light of God? I would say it's a both and, not an either or. We do merge into God, but we're still a soul. God created us as an individual. Yeah, and that was clear to me. I was possessed by God, but I knew who I was. And that's okay. I, I have to tell you, trust God on that. Don't be afraid. I tell myself that all the time. Even though he loves us so much, it's scary. Don't be afraid. Trust God. He's the one who created you. Don't let the evil in this world distort the purity of God's love and who God is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a both and, not an either or. You and I both went through uh, seminary, different seminaries, of course. And uh, you had referenced briefly Thomas Aquinas's one of the major church fathers, wrote theology his whole life. But then he had an NDE-like experience while saying mass and declared, all I have written is straw, meaning it's just a waste product. It wasn't the, didn't have the heart of the love that you're talking about. And yet the church, even today, not just the Catholic church, but most churches teach the straw and ignore the enlightenment. Do you have any problem with being a Catholic priest in that regard? Yeah, that, that's kind of a sweeping statement, Lee. I think, I think we do go for the enlightenment and, and the illuminative. Like, for example, Lent is a season of purification and enlightenment. That's yes. the theme of Lent. So, But I know what you're saying. You're saying is sometimes they, the church goes more for doctrine. But I find that, yeah, people are open. Uh, I haven't had any religious leaders come against me. I, I've had different persecutions, but people are people. But uh, I do want to say what, what Thomas Aquinas was the one who had that experience. Learned man, philosophical, scriptural. Yeah. Uh, he's a doctor of the church. and Not many people are doctors of the Catholic church. You have to be very extraordinary to be a doctor. He has this vision of God about a month before he dies. And he says, all that I've written is straw. And what he was saying was, words do not suffice for the transcendent experience of God. Now, I'm using words now to try to give images, to try to give some type of an imagination to your listeners and viewers. But words don't do it. I, it's a thrilling, <laughs> out-of-body beyond words and imagination, although imaginations are better than words. What I would say is not all is straw, because I've written 25 books and I preach a lot. I would say this about all my books. I would say two words, trust God, trust God. That's so important. My series on television airing right now, airing on TBN and Daystar, EWTN, trust God. And I try to help people I say, even though you're going through sufferings, even though you're going through trials, which we all do, trust God. When it comes to your death, trust God. God has decreed the day of your death. He knows it. He will have mercy on you as you believe and as you justify your soul. But trust God. He is trustworthy. But I do want to get into the judgment. I don't want to I don't want to leave that part out. Do you want to talk about that now? Sure. Uh, this would be equivalent to a life review in any exactly. terms. Yeah. Yes, please. 
as I was standing before God, soaked in the love and bathed in the glory and illumined by the light, I realized something very clearly happening simultaneously. I wasn't worthy. I wasn't ready. I was, I was justified. I'll use that word, like the word transcendent, but words that I learned in God's presence. My girlfriend and I had had an abortion when I was 18 years old, and I ended the life of a child. That, that is a mortal sin in the Catholic Church, in any church. And from revealing the state of my soul, that I had been selfish, that I had committed sins, that I wasn't ready. And he was giving me another chance, a rebirth, if you will. I was I sobbed like a baby. I was born again. And I came back both times. That happened a month apart. The person that stands before him, remember what Jesus said, pray that you'd be worthy to stand before the Son of Man. The person that stands before him will know instinctively whether or not they're right. I haven't said a word about the cross. Let me throw that in very quickly. Pardon my pejorative language there, but I am a priest dedicated to the passion. Christ. We're called passion. put right before God through Jesus. It's because Jesus died for us on the cross. He suffered and died to put us right with God. But if you have faith in that event, that passion event, you will have works with it. That is not works of the law, the works of faith. That's James. James says, the letter of James, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. So really, faith is a two-sided coin, confidence and works. And so what I'm doing when I talk about justification, becoming virtuous, reaching out to people, loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength to the best of my ability, what I'm saying is that that's justifying my soul through faith, Part of faith in Christ, in the passion. I hope that makes sense. Oh, yes. The passion's an, an amazing story. Uh, when we, uh, my, my wife and I both went to seminary, when we graduated, we'd bought an old church that was uh, threatened with um, being turned into Section 8 housing. We saved it as a church, tore the old um, um, organ loft down built it, it, turned it actually into a stage. And for the first several years, we did a passion play every year. Wow. And my wife wrote them um, from different gospels, points of view from um, in modern dress. We do, you know, the next year we do it in historic dress. One year we did it with a, a Greek chorus singing all of the, uh, the written parts, except for Jesus words. And uh, it, it's, it's an amazing, powerful story. And, and well, I'm so glad you did that. I, oh. you're a passionist too. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody <laughs> is that loves the passion of Jesus. Oh. Listen, um, I, I want to ask you about um, uh, because you, we do stand, we do feel unworthy. I mean, uh, in life reviews, we are in the, the other person's shoes, we know we've hurt them badly, and uh, um, does this uh, equate somehow with the notion of purgatory? as a place to um, reconcile further? This, no, uh, my experience doesn't, but no, my, no. Experience on, my experience on earth does. We are being purified. As I said, Lent is a season of purification and enlightenment. Mm -hmm. If there is a purgatory, and we Catholics believe there is, but again, I 
I would say I've never seen it. I don't know exactly. It is a teaching of our church, but doesn't mean it's a place of fire. It means it's a place where we're being purified further so that there's always an end to this. We can be justified before God in Christ. We call it a place of grace because through the grace of God, God is giving you more time. You know how people die and say, I'm not ready. Well, God has given you a time to get ready. And it's a further place. Again, you're, you're justified through the passion. You're saved by grace. It's a place of grace. How long will it last? We don't know. How, how intense will it be? We don't know. It's probably different for each person. But the, the doctrine of purgatory makes a lot of sense because that's what we're going through on earth. We are being purged. We're being purified so that we can come before God. How do you account for the realm of ghosts? Do you believe they exist? And uh, yeah, That's a very confusing thing to me. I, I've never seen one, but... I don't know. I really, there's some, there's a lot of things I don't know. And that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Even the demon thing. Yeah, there's demons. There's evil. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I'm not an expert on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't go around exercising demons, but can, can we just get to a couple of the words that, that God spoke to me? I want to make sure we get that. In. Absolutely. Uh, that was my next yeah. question. You're standing. Yeah, pardon there. me for changing the subject. Real no, quick, no. You're, you're standing there before the light, and what was the communication? The communication was telepathic, and I know that other NDEs have said that, and it's true. God, you don't need to hear God's voice uh, in terms of audibly, and, and it continues still with the Holy Spirit within me. Now I call them impressions or movements within. You, you sense it's your voice, but it's the Spirit. But anyway, I heard, number one, you must justify your soul. And that's, that was the judgment, that not only did I not feel worthy, I, I sense God saying, I'm giving you another chance. This is the reason for this. You must be justified. I'm going to send you. He didn't say this, but I know that in retrospect. You're going back. Get with the program. And, and as you can see, I've got with the program. So. That's the first thing I heard. Then the second thing, while this was happening, all of a sudden, I feel this arm around my shoulder. Again, I couldn't see. You feel it. I believe it was Jesus. Possibly it could be a guardian angel, but I really think it was Jesus himself. I couldn't see. And he said to me, I will protect you. I'll never forget that. I get goosebumps all through me now. That's the Holy Spirit, of course. And what he was saying was, I'm not going to be exempt from suffering because I've suffered since I've come back and I'm going to die, but I'm not exempt from that, but he's going to take me through. He's going to be with me. He's going to help me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to protect me. And I think he's going to protect me from a lot of things that I haven't had to experience. I don't think that word, those words were just for me. I want them to be for your viewers and listeners in proxy that you must justify your soul through Christ and God will protect you and bring you through and bring you home. And I'll tell you, I never forgot that, that he spoke to me. He might have spoken other things to me. I wasn't allowed to remember, but I remember those two things. And then the last thing I remember as I started to go, and I don't know how I started to know that I was about to go. When I say go, I mean, go back to my body. I said to God, 
now that I know, I will be my best. And then off I went. And so I've tried to be true to that promise to God. Now that I know that God exists and that he loves me, and that I'm going back, I will be my best. And ipso facto, <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying I'm perfect. As Paul said, I haven't arrived, but I'm living quite the life. It's a radical Christian life. And I'm about to fly to Orlando on Friday to preach the gospel for a week in Ormond Beach, Florida. I'll be down there in Florida and down in uh, Jupiter and Vero Beach preaching. And I, I go all around preaching, television, writing. Not And again, the money that comes to me and people trust me, donate to me, it all goes toward the ministry. I'm a priest with a vow of poverty. I own nothing. And shame on those who take that money and spend it on themselves. And there's so many charities that that is, has happened. And yet we have to continue to give. It's good to check out the charity you, you give to, but it's a blessing. To yeah, but anyway, forget all that. Yeah. Just what, what I just said, wow. This well, I, I wanted to read something from your book. I really believe that Christianity is not so much a religion as a love affair between God and each individual person. Christianity is a sacred romance. Nothing is more intimate, rapturous, and thrilling than being loved by God and loving him in return. And what I like to say, thank you for bringing that up, is that each of us can love God in a way that nobody ever has. We all have our own history, our own experience, our own DNA, physical makeup. Love God from who you are in your own personal way. That's what God wants from you. Don't love God like I love God or somebody else loves God. You, in your own unique way, that's all that God is asking of you. It, it is a romance to, to a degree. God loves us as a father, as a brother, and as a lover in all the ways that you can possibly love. Thank you for bringing that up. You also quote Jesus as saying, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. How do you take that? As I would say that, that means that sacrificed means, a lot. That means that it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the priest and the Levite are going up to offer worship at the temple, sacrifice at the temple. Here's this guy lying by the side of the road dying. And it's like they go to the other side of the road because they hold oh, they got to offer sacrifice. Hmm. Don't miss the elephant in the room. Christianity is more than ritual. It is ritual and it is rubrics, but it's a lot more than that. It's about people, how you treat people, how you forgive people, and how you relate to people. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm getting real vehement here because people don't get this. It's like they want religion. They want this strict religion rubrics and everything. And then, then they miss what Jesus taught, that the prime commandment is to love God and to love each other. You had a concentration on Bible when you were at seminary. How do you reconcile the Old Testament and the New Testament gods? Well, I think you have to understand what the Bible is. It's not a literal word for word of what has happened, historical happening. It is in many ways story. It's narrative. It's parable telling us about God for example, creation in six days. It wasn't six literal days, but it's telling us that God created. It's the narrative of it's all God in God's times. That's why 
science and religion can be reconciled. They go together. They're not opposites. We know that God created and that things evolved with God's grace. God has been involved in the evolution. So, yeah, you have to understand what scriptures is. And that was eye-opening for me when I studied in the seminary. I went to a good seminary that specialized in scripture. And really, the gospels themselves are not necessarily historical narratives. For example, this is what I like to throw out at fundamentalists. When Paul the Apostle had his conversion, today is the day of the conversion of Paul the Apostle, January 25th. I preached on it this morning. In one account in the gospel in Acts of the Apostles, in one account, he hears a voice and the people with him didn't see the light. In the other account, they see the light, but they didn't hear the voice. Which is it? <laughs> so, I mean, if you're a strict fundamentalist, there's a problem there. I mean, scripture itself isn't, isn't coinciding with each other. So you've got to understand what scripture is. Yes, yes. Well, Father, we're about out of time here. <laughs> that went by fast. It sure did. It sure did far too fast. Tell the listeners how they can find out about your books and your television and radio programs and, and all of the things you're doing. Well, thanks a lot for that little plug. I appreciate that. But Trinity Broadcasting Network, Sundays, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. 4 a.m. Pacific Time, Daystar Television Network, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Sundays, EWTN, the Catholic Network, 6.30 a.m. on Sundays, starting at the end of February, and that's uh, 6.30 a.m. Eastern. I've written 25 books. The books we were discussing today, the book we were discussing is called Death, the Final Surrender. I do talk about grieving in this book, but it's primarily about the death experience, much of what I've talked about in this interview. Written 25 books. I have DVDs, CDs. You can call 844-FATHER-C. You can go to my website, frcedric.org, frcedric.org. I've got a store there. I've got videos there a YouTube page, a Facebook page, all kinds of different things. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this program. And thank you for sharing your NDE. These personal mystical experiences, if everyone would talk about them, and as I've said before, there are roughly a thousand a day occurring in this country alone, we could really change the attitude of the world. If people really came to understand there is a God, a God that loves us, and that we do not die when we die our souls eternal. It would make such a difference in how we live our lives here and how we treat nature and one another. That is so true. NDEs are not an end in themselves. They're a means to something else. And that means is God and his love for us. And that life on earth is a preparation for meeting God. And we have to be ready. And I want to emphasize that. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lee. And thanks oh, for thank you. So thanks to Father Cedric Pasegna for sharing the story of his NDEs and the wisdom he gained from his experience. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button or go to our YouTube channel 
NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at TalkZone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.